1: With Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not going to talk about the tragedy in Afghanistan. We don't have time for that today. We're going to talk about a much broader problem. So don't go anywhere. But I do want to say this go and listen to Ben Shapiro, who, as you know, has a podcast called The Daily Wire. That's his organization. Listen to the August 17th show, because most of what Ben says in there. I agree with. There's a couple things I might not agree with, but here is the title of Ben's show. I think this was on Tuesday of this week. This is the title. He doesn't pull any punches. Biden's dishonest, cowardly Afghanistan surrender proves he is unfit for his office. And by the way, he doesn't just go after Biden. He goes after Trump, too. I think it's a fair assessment of what's been going on. So please go listen to that because I think he does a good job. He, he pulls audio clips so you can see what people are hear what people are saying in their own words. This is a tragedy. It is the worst possible way to ever leave a country. And I'm recording this right here on Thursday. There may be some developments before you hear this, but this is a disaster. And it's right at Biden's feet. All right. Enough of that. Here's my next question. How do you take power from the people and consolidate it in a dictator or a government? There happen to be known facts to do this, and they have been demonstrated time and again since the time of Plato. But you see, these are deceptive tactics. And as you know, Satan deceives by disguising himself as an angel of light. Now, here's one problem with deception. When you're being deceived, you don't Know it, and I submit to you that many of us have been deceived and are being deceived right now about many things in our culture. And there is no better person I know on the planet to give us an historical perspective on these deceptive tactics and how people can be basically have power taken from them step after step. I'm calling this program A Short History of Tyranny, and my friend, my friend Bill Federer, William Federer just gave a series of unbelievable presentations out at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills. We happened to be out there at the same time. We were running CIA, the Cross-Exam Instructor Academy, and, and Bill was across campus actually doing these three wonderful presentations that you can see on Jack Hibbs' YouTube channel. I, I highly recommend you go watch these. They each have over 100,000 views already. Go to Real Life with Jack Hibbs and see uh, Bill Federer lay out What we're going to talk about in very short order here on this program, go to Real Life with Jack Hibbs' YouTube channel. Now, Bill's website is AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com, and his book on this topic is called Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present, How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crisis to Consolidate Control how the deep state capitalizes on crisis to consolidate control. And so we're just going to scratch the surface here on this broadcast here today on this particular book. If you want to go deeper, look at those YouTube uh, presentations that Bill did and get the book called Socialism by Bill Federer. It's always great to have Bill on. He's been on before. Bill, how are you? Hey, Frank. Great to be with you. You do some great work, Bill. Before we get into this, uh, I don't. St- I don't think I've ever seen anybody better have a handle on history and a handle on it that can communicate the big picture of history to the general public. How did you get so skilled in doing this?
0: Uh, probably just repetition. Uh, my my dad was an attorney historian, so we grew up going to French Fort, Spanish Fort, to Civil War battlefields, Kit Carson, all these different places, and. Had a library in the house, but it really was was when I became a a Christian as an adult. And I tell people oh. it's like turning the corner on a cornfield and you see the rows line up. So it's the same corn from one point of view, but it seems unorganized. Another point of view, you see a progression. And so from God's point of view, there is this progression of limiting. Tyranny, so that people can be all that God made them to be, and ultimately have the freedom of conscience to choose God, uh, right uh, through Jesus. So, right. uh, the the most common form of government in world history is kings. Uh, decided to do a project of researching every civilization that has ever existed on planet Earth. Spent about a year or two and went back all the way to Sumerian cuneiform on clay tablets in the Mesopotamian Valley. And uh, Nimrod Tower of Babel, and Sargon of Acadia, and uh, the kings of Assyria, and Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, and Indian Maharajas, 5,000 years of Chinese emperors, uh, 2,000 years of Egyptian pharaohs, uh, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Til the Hun, Genghis Khan, uh, ultimately the, the king of England. Uh, the most common form of government in world history is top down. Mm-hmm. It's kings. Power gravitates into the hands of one person. It's sort of like the movie, The Lord of the Rings, where Gandalf tells Frodo, always remember, Frodo, the ring is trying to get back to its master. It wants to be found. Power wants to concentrate, and the dilemma is it's in each of our own human DNA. So you put some kids on a playground, one's the bully. You put some junior high girls in a clique, and one's the diva. You put some people in the woods, one of them is an Indian chief, and you put them in an inner city, one of them is a gang leader. So, So the default setting, and all a king is, is a glorified gang leader. And it's a hierarchical system. If you're friends with the king, you're more equal. If you're not friends with the king, you're less equal. And if you're an enemy of the king, you're dead. It's called treason or you're a slave. Mm -hmm. And so that's the norm. Uh, Very rarely do people get a chance to try to rule themselves without a king. Uh, I go through those quite extensively. Ancient Israel, uh, ancient uh, Greece, Athens, ancient Rome. But in times of crises, people panic and give up their freedoms. And the rubber band snaps back into the hands of the king.
1: Well, that's what we're going to talk about. How, do, how can people gradually take power from other people and consolidate it in a dictator or a government? Now, your book, uh, the, the book called Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present, that book right there, for those you're watching on video, uh, that book goes through all we're going to talk about. But let's, let's start at the basics, Bill, because I, I think a lot of people don't really have a good handle on socialism. If you had to define socialism, how would you define it? What is it?
0: It's a cultural bait and switch. It promises heaven delivers hell, promises a dream delivers a nightmare. In other words, if the norm is kings, and then you have rare times where people rule themselves, if someone wants to take power away from the people, how do you do it? Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't want to give it up. And so there are two tactics. One is fear. Uh, And when people get afraid, they trade freedom for security. And so it's either creating or capitalizing on a crisis to consolidate control. That's sort of the the subtitle of my book. So one is fear. The other is free stuff. And you get people dependent. And uh, that is a little more subtle, uh, but it's just as dangerous. I tell people a drug dealer can take over a neighborhood two ways. He can come in with guns and everybody panics and agrees to pay him protection money for him to leave uh, them alone. uh, So fear... Uh, but the other is the drug dealer can give away free drugs and everybody gets hooked. And once they're hooked, he says, Oh, oh you, you want more drugs? Well, you're going to have to sell yourself into prostitution. You're going to have to steal from your neighbor. You're going to have to do this, that, and the other. Right. And so it's like a hunter can catch animals one with a gun or two with bait.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it's, um, you know, uh, I was reading an article about how to catch wild pigs. Uh, you, put a post in the ground with some corn at the bottom. And then you put two posts, and the next day three, and the next day four, and the next day five, and you sort of build a, a semicircle. And you keep putting the corn out, the pigs come and eat the corn, and they really don't notice these poles. And until finally there's a little opening to get into this circle, and the pigs like squeeze through there, eat the corn, and then one day you just shut the gate, right? And so you use bait to catch them. So uh, so, so socialism can take over two ways. They can come in with tanks, uh, or they can bankrupt the country until everybody says, government, help us out. And so that's what they call the great reset where they're intentionally bankrupting the country, inflating the dollar. So everybody that's on fixed income, especially the older people, uh, will have to basically surrender uh, their lives to the government uh, to keep them alive and so forth.
1: We're gonna see how this is happening here in America and ask Bill a number of other questions about how power is taken from the people through tactics that have been used for centuries so don't go anywhere you're listening to I don't have enough faith to be an atheist with Frank Turk my guest is William Federer his website americanminute.com check it out and we're back in two minutes Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamine.org. With Cross-examine with a D on the end of it. Our YouTube channel, two words, cross examined. Uh, and thank you for putting positive reviews of this podcast, the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast, on iTunes or wherever you watch or hear, I should say. Uh, This podcast, it helps move it up the charts. I want to mention I'm going to be at Compass Bible Church this Sunday, August 22nd. That's in Aliso Viejo, California, for the morning services. We'll be doing If God, Why Evil? And then the following week, uh, I will be at the Values Advocacy Council uh, 2021 in San Jose, California. That's Saturday night at 6 p.m. on the West Coast. And then the next morning, South Valley Community Church in Gilroy and also Hollister, California. There's three services. You can see all this on our website, crossexamine.org. Click on events and Frank Turk calendar. If you're out there on the West Coast, I'd love to see you. I've got three trips to the West Coast this, uh, this month. So uh, hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll be able to hold up going back and forth across the country. But it's a privilege to speak to those places. Uh, my guest, My guest today is Dr. Bill Federer. William Federer, who has done some amazing historical work, Bill. Just before the break, we were talking a little bit about socialism, and I've always understood socialism to be, uh, with a kind of a bare bones description of it, it's where the state has the means of production. They take the means of production. There's not private property. The state holds that. I guess there's kind of quasi-socialist uh, places where they don't have complete control. Is that a fair definition, however, of socialism?
0: Well, I like to look at people who were uh, in history like Lenin. Mm-hmm. Lenin said Social- socialism is a transition phase to communism. Right. And Karl Marx defined communism. He said communism can be summed up in one sentence, abolition of private property. And uh, so long story short, uh, my book goes all the way back to Plato, 380 mm-hmm. BC. He considered Uh, Atlantis, this uh, highly structured civilization on an island that sinks in the sea, but it's his ideal structured society, and Plato thought democracy was an unstructured society. Demos means people, crossing means rule. In a democracy, the chief characteristic is tolerance. Everybody tolerates each other. It's great. Then they tolerate people that are a little bit off. Then they tolerate people that are a lot off, Till finally they're tolerating lawlessness and Mm. crooks and crime and fraud and broad daylight, looting in the streets and robbing and stealing and smashing windows, and nobody does anything about it. And the people begin to say, can't someone come along and fix this mess? And that's when some governor comes along and he says, I can fix it. I just need some emergency powers. And Plato says, at first, when he appears above ground, he's a protector and he's full of smiles, like, like, yes, I'm going to protect you, but I'm going to have to take away some of your freedoms to do it. And Plato says, finally, he stands up in the chariot of state, holding the reins of power, and he's revealed as a tyrant. And so he's going to institute structure. And he's the head of gold, and his administrators and military are the arms and chest of silver. They are the ruling class. Everyone else is the abdomen of iron and bronze. They are the ruled class. So socialism is a structured society of a ruling class and a ruled class. Now, Plato says that the ruling class, they're above the law, they're politically connected, they can do, they're supported by the commoners, uh, they can do things like like getting their hair styled when nobody else can.
1: Oh, well, I wonder, wonder where you got there. that idea from.
0: <laughs> and uh, now the ruled class, yes, everyone is provided for, but no one owns anything. Mm. And the government controls it all. And there's sort of a saying, he who holds the purse strings has the power. Okay, everybody gets an equal amount. Well, wait a second. Who is in the government position doling out all this stuff? And they end up liking their job and they end up being tempted to be preferential, doling a little extra out to those that are their friends and maybe holding back from those that don't like them. And it ends up becoming oppressive. And so that's the the dilemma. Uh, that if everybody owns everything equally, somebody's in the government position doling it out. Who, who gets to decide who lives in the nice house and who lives in the dumpy house? Oh, the, somebody in the government dictates that. Well, whoever dictates that is the dictator. So Plato, uh, everybody gets provided for, but nobody owns anything. Matter of fact, Plato, the government decides who gets to have children. And the government takes the children away from the parents and brings them into the city where they're indoctrinated with noble lies. That's what Plato said he says that uh, the philosopher King will take the children away from the before they've been affected by the habits of their parents and he'll bring them into the city and uh, he says we want one single grand lie which will be believed by everybody could you imagine the government taking the kids away from the parents and teaching them lies and and the purpose of the lies is so these kids are programmed to serve the ruling class the elites uh, to maintain well, this is this already happening it's
1: Oh, sorry, Bill. Uh, Sorry, Bill. (laughs) You froze for a second. Go ahead. Complete. Complete the thought.
0: Yeah, and and so uh, I make it simple. Uh, If you think of power as a line, a spectrum, Mm -hmm. one side is total government, and the other side is no government. Total government power keeps concentrating. A little bit here, like socialism, light, and then transitions to communism. And basically, uh, whenever you get communism, there's a party. There's a communist party. And then you have people uh, seizing power amongst themselves until you get a party boss. And he functions as a dictator. So so uh, then the other side of the spectrum is no government. And, and that would be anarchy. Right. Unless each person is taught the law. And that's where ancient Israel comes in. So in my studies of uh, thousands of years of world history, and kings is the most common uh, form of government, there's a st- strange... Example of an alternative. The first example, matter of fact, it's ancient Israel. Around 1400 BC, they came out of Egypt. And for 400 years, they don't have a king. And every single citizen is taught the law. And they're personally accountable to God to follow the law. And it worked for four centuries until the priests stopped teaching the law. And every man did what was right in their own eyes, turns into chaos, sodomites banging on doors, concubines being raped, uh, you know, Levite priest with silver graven images in the house of a guy named Micah, and Eli, the high priest, his own sons are sleeping with women in the very tent where the Ark of the Covenant is. It turns into lawlessness, and they all go to Samuel the prophet, and they say, this self-government system's not working anymore. We want to be like all the pagan countries around us. We want a king. And Samuel cries, and the Lord tells Samuel, they did not reject you, they rejected me. And God sends lightning and thunder, destroys their crops. And they said, we sinned and asking him for a king. And Samuel said, yes, you did sin. He's going to take away your best land, give it to his favorites, redistribution of wealth. He's going to take your daughters, make them be cooks, make your sons run before his chariots. Right. And um, now God still worked his plan of redemption, but it was uh, uh, with a plan B, so to speak. It was the people not being in charge of their lives anymore. So America's founding fathers in colonial New England they looked back to this period of ancient Israel. It's called the Hebrew Republic. Matter of fact, they taught Hebrew at Harvard and Yale. Uh, to this day, Yale has Hebrew characters on its coat of arms. Mm. Right? This was the... And so in New England, they set up this form of government called Assemblies and Congregations. And the word synagogue means meeting place. And so every town would have a meeting place. It was the church. And they would have their congregational church government, but they would then decide the word politics comes from the Greek word, word polis, which means city. Mm-hmm. And all you had in the city of Providence, Rhode Island was Thomas Hooker's church and the congregationalists. And all you had in Providence, Rhode Island was Roger Williams church. They, they founded the city. How, how could you say, oh, we're Christians. We can't get involved in politics What all there was <laughs> in the city were the Christians. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah, right. And so they were involved in every issue. And so America's founding fathers looked back to colonial New England as the model of self-government. And we called it we the people. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's a polarity change in the flow of power. Set a top down, rule by king, bottom up rule by we. It's the difference between a dead pyramid and a living tree where, where every root and every little capillary root sucks up nutrients that will keep the tree alive. Every citizen is needed to make this bottom up form of government work. But like ancient Israel, in times of crises and an immorality, uh, people have lawlessness and chaos, and they uh, panic, and they want some governor to come along and fix it, some king Saul to come along and fix it. And yeah, yeah, he'll he'll re- restore order, but you won't have your freedoms that you had. And and Saul he turned around and killed most of the priests. Remember? Had Doeg, the Mm -hmm. Edomite, kill all 70 of those priests? So, the pastors that don't do a good job teaching God's Word, uh, once the tyrant
1: gets in office, uh, he's going to have them killed. Mm -hmm. So, you say the two ways to take power from the people gradually are through fear and, uh, and free stuff. Okay? Now, do you need a lot of people to do this? I mean, some people are probably listening, going, oh, sure, Bill, there's a grand conspiracy that all this is happening. But you don't need a lot of people to actually do this, to get power from the people and consolidate it in a dictator or uh, a big government. There are tactics that, that are being used, correct? I mean, it doesn't take a grand conspiracy, does it? Uh, no. Uh, you know,
0: but the uh, imagine being in heaven. And somebody sows discord in heaven, Lucifer. Mm -hmm. And he got a third of the angels to rebel. And of course, God cast him out. But Lucifer's concept was to sow division. So an an example is he sows division in the garden, gets Adam to blame Eve. But uh, ancient Israel, that first 400 year period before they got King Saul, there was an instance where they almost lost it with Abimelech. Who's Abimelech? He's an illegitimate son of Gideon. So Gideon defeated 100,000 Midianites. Israel has no threats. It is at peace. But Abimelech wants power, and he decides to sow discord. So he goes to the town of Shechem, and he does race identity politics. And he says, um, should the sons of Gideon reign over you? Remember that I am your flesh and your bone. And the people say, well, we got to vote for Abimelech because he is our brother. Mm. And then they go to the temple of Balbarith, and they take 70 pieces of silver where Abimelech hired rioters, antifa people, to wow. do violence. And they go into this father's house at Ophir, and they kill all the other sons of Gideon, and that's when Abimelech becomes king. And Israel's about Hebrew this. Republic would have ended then ha- had not uh, someone threw a millstone over a wall and had killed Abimelech.
1: You can read this in Judges 9. So really, Abimelech is the first guy in the Bible anyway to invent <clears throat> identity politics. Is that a fair statement?
0: Yeah, and to sow division where there was no division, just for the sake of getting power. But this is studied throughout history. Uh, I can give examples, but one notable one is Machiavelli. Mm. He lived 500 years ago in Italy. Italy was a bunch of city-states, Venice, Genoa, Naples, Florence, Siena. And they all had armies, and they fought. And Machiavelli's thought is if one prince could control all of Italy, it would stop the infighting. And so he writes a book called The Prince, and he's basically telling what Caesar Borgia does to usurp power um, of assassinations and poisonings and so forth. But uh, if a prince wants to conquer a city in his quest to unify Italy, uh, that's a good thing because it'll stop all the infighting. But if the city doesn't want to be conquered, they'll hate this prince. So if the prince pays criminals like Abimelech did— to kill cows burn barn smash windows set things on fire the people in the city will panic and cry out for help the prince can come in get rid of the very people he paid to create the crisis nobody will know the better for it and they'll praise the prince as a hero so it's good marketing you create the need and fill it go around the back of the house set her on fire go around the front of the house sell my fire extinguisher
1: we got a lot more with bill federer AmericanMinute.com. so don't go anywhere i'm frank turek my guest bill federer and you'll want to hear a lot more so don't go anywhere A short course in tyranny. The history of tyranny. That's what we're talking about here with my friend Bill Federer of AmericanMinute.com. There are tactics that people can use, and they've been used for centuries, on how to take power away from the people and consolidate it in a dictator or some sort of big government. That's what's been going on for centuries. It's going on in America right now. In fact, Bill, before the break, you were Uh, mentioning that there are two ways or two tactics that you can get power from the people gradually. You can create a crisis or you can give away free stuff. People get then dependent on it. But when people create a crisis, they can use that crisis to consolidate power. And I think I remember Rahm Emanuel, who was the chief of staff for the Clintons, and also then later was the mayor of Chicago, say something about this back in 2008. What did he say?
0: Right. So uh, Machiavelli's concept is called Machiavellianism, which is where you create or capitalize on a crisis to consolidate control. And Rahm Emanuel worded, it, never let a good crisis go to waste. It's an opportunity to do those things you thought you could not do before. And of course, Hillary Clinton, when she was secretary of state, Said an old friend of mine and my husband's, uh, Rahm Emanuel said, You know, never waste a good crisis. So, you and I see a crisis, our response is how can we help people through it? They see a crisis, their response is how can we usurp power away from the people so we can push our big government agenda? Mm. Um, and so it's the same exact crisis, uh, but they have uh, an opportunity, you know, it's the same way In, in nature. Uh, if there's a weak animal and it's struggling, uh, there are predators that want to take advantage of that animal's weakness and kill it, need it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so the, the, it's the same way in human nature. So Machiavelli lived in the 1500s, uh-huh. but then uh, Hegel lived in the 1800s. But go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say that uh, we saw this just a few weeks ago. Uh, maybe two weeks ago now, when President Biden came out and said, we're going to extend the eviction moratorium. Uh, but we we know that it's unconstitutional basically to do it. Uh, but we're going to do it anyway. He said, I've talked to all these constitutional scholars. We really don't have the power without going through Congress to do this. Uh, but we're just going to put out an executive order to do this in in the name of this is an emergency. COVID is an emergency. And so if you're a renter, you don't have to pay your rent, basically. Well, what does that say about the people who own these facilities? They can't pay their bills because they're not getting any rent money because there's an eviction moratorium out there that was just put in place by fiat without going through the proper channels. They're grabbing power in the name of a crisis. But go, go to Hegel if you would, Bill.
0: Well, let me throw in a quote from George Washington's farewell yeah. address. And he said, disorders and miseries will incline the hearts of men to seek security in the absolute power of an individual who will turn this disposition to the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. And then whatever form of government you call it, it will be a a despotism. And then George Washington goes on to say that usurpation, though in one instance is the instrument of good, it is the customary weapon by which free governments are destroyed. And he says, whatever uh, uh, transient benefit is gained by the usurpation will be far outweighed by permanent evil. So this is the the dilemma. Uh, Somebody says, I want to do something good. I'm going to take power away from the people. But you're destroying the bottom-up form of government in the process and transitioning to top-down. In my book, I go through examples. Um, It was good that Lincoln ended slavery. But in the process, he took a lot of rights away from the states that never went back to it. Uh, Woodrow Wilson, it was good that he wanted to, uh, you know, save Europe or whatever. Uh, but uh, he got us into the World War. And then he put through the Federal Reserve Act and and uh, the, the income tax and FDR, the, the prime example. Uh, he wanted to do good by getting us through the Depression. But he concentrates an unbelievable amount of power in the federal government. And then Lyndon Johnson wanted to get rid of poverty. What could be more good than that? Get rid of poverty. But in the process, he created this great society welfare state where put condemned whole generations of families to be independent on it. Uh, Nixon had a war on drugs. Well, that's a good thing. But it concentrated more power in the federal government and even President George W. Bush. Right. It was a good thing. He didn't want any more terrorist attacks. But he concentrates power with the NSA and the Patriot Act so the government can track every single thing you do and say. And the fear is that it'll end up setting up a Chinese tracking social credit tracking system. Uh, but it's all in the name of doing something good. And George Washington warned of that. In other words, when somebody says, I want to do something good, I want a little extra power to do it, red flags should go up everywhere.
1: Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's always put forth as a good thing. Otherwise, you, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't agree to it. It's, it's, it's got to be given to you as a good thing. And the, and the dilemma is every
0: now and then you get a good leader Mm -hmm. and he wants to concentrate power so he can do good more efficiently, but he's not in office forever. Right. And at some point it gets turned over to the other side that uses that concentrated power for evil. Bible example, Joseph in Egypt, a godly man, he concentrates power into the hands of the Pharaoh. And what did that Pharaoh do with the concentrated power? He fed the children of Israel, gave them the best land to Goshen, gave them jobs taking care of his cattle. But then there was a new Pharaoh that did not know Joseph, and he used all that concentrated power to oppress the children of Israel, make them slaves, and even throw their sons in the Nile River. That's mm. the dilemma, right? You get um, a good guy. Uh, William Howard Taft, after he's president, he becomes chief justice of the Supreme Court, and he decides to move the Supreme Court out of the basement of the Capitol into its own nice, pretty building. He's the first justice to hire a clerk. Prior to that, the justices did their own homework, and he federalized the court system. Prior to him, different districts uh, would make different decisions, and they didn't always jive, and the country was fine with it. Sort of like Today, some state laws, uh, you know, may have uh, marijuana and others don't. Uh, You know, some states had blue laws where everything was closed on Sunday and others didn't. Everybody sort of knew it and they got along with it. But uh, William Howard Taft uh, pushed through this federalizing, but he was a Republican. But then he's not in office. He's followed by FDR and pushing, st- you know, all of his liberals on the court. And now it's when the federal go- go- Supreme Court says it, boom, it's law of the land. It was a republic. Then you had Jimmy Carter put in the Department of Education. And Ronald Reagan ran for office promising to eliminate the Department of Education. And there's the little video clip. Uh, and I love Bill Bennett. He's a godly man. He was great. He's brilliant. Uh, but there the video clip is Ronald Reagan going in his cabinet, and he goes, you know, I said that I was going to eliminate the Department of Education uh, in my campaign, but then I met Bill Bennett. Mm-hmm. In other words, we're yeah. in charge, we can do good, and, and it's almost right. like the devil said, fine, I'll just sit back for eight years, do whatever you that's want, right. because you're yeah. missing your opportunity to cut off the head of this Medusa, and it's going to come back to me, and I'm going to push transgender stuff and critical race theory and everything else through this, you know, federal Department of Education. Well, uh, so, actually, so that's the
1: dilemma. In your talk, Bill, and again, the the talk you can see with the PowerPoint and all that at uh, at the YouTube channel of Jack Hibbs, Real Life with Jack Hibbs, uh, Bill did three one-hour talks. We're just summarizing some of the first talk that you did. You also point out that critical theory, uh, you, you, you point out where that comes from. Where does critical theory come from?
0: Well, and I apologize for going off on that track because I wanted to get out this part. Anyway, Napoleon conquers Europe. And six million people die. Afterwards, the king of Prussia uh, said, we can't get conquered that easy again. We need to strengthen the state. And so he gets a philosopher named Hegel, who teaches at the University of Berlin. And Hegel says, the state is God walking on earth. The state is our mortal God. We must worship the state. And, of course, he concentrates power that eventually turns into Kaiser Wilhelm World War I and Hitler World War II, that German concept of the state. But um, the idea of concentrating power from the people into the hands of the state it's called Hegelian dialectics or Hegelian dialectics. It's a triangle. One corner is a thesis, opposite corner is an antithesis or antithesis. Top corner of the triangle is a synthesis. Sounds complicated, but it's really not. One of his students is Karl Marx. And Karl Marx says, "Ha! Huh, triangle, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. The thesis is the status quo, the way the country is right now. We need to create an antithesis. Uh, In other words, you have to create a problem that's real bad, and then everybody will settle for your answer that's half as bad. Mm. And then that becomes a new starting point. You create another problem that's real bad, and everybody's happy to settle for your answer. That's half as bad. Then you create another problem that's real bad, and everybody's happy to settle for your answer. That's half as bad. Every time they settle, they give up a little more of their freedom. So how do you create a problem that's real bad? Karl Marx called it critical theory. You observe the country and see the groups, and then you categorize them as victims and oppressors, haves and have-nots, uh, and then you stir up riots and protests and to a those are destabilizing crisis, everybody gets in fear and panics and they give up their freedom to some uh, abimelech, to some tyrant king uh, that promises to fix it. And so uh, he divided into proletariat versus bourgeois, which is the working class versus the business owners. Or the blacks against the whites or the Catholics against the Protestants or the, you know, the Muslims against the Christians or the Hutus against the Tutsis in the Congo and Rwanda. It's an interesting study. Uh, Everybody in Rwanda saw themselves as one. But the British colonizers came in and they would measure their craniums and their heads and their heights. And they'd say, you're a Hutu and you're a Tutsi. And so they began to identify with these groups that were made up by the British. And then they pitted them against each other to cause violence. And then the British uh, came in and said, "Okay, we're going to restore order. And that's how the British took over India and other places. But could you imagine the government breaking people into artificial groups simply for the that, purpose Bill? of pitting them against each other? Who
1: would do that? <laughs> it's everywhere.
0: <laughs> Identity politics. But now we have the vaxxed and the unvaxxed, right? Yeah, that's right. A, that's a month right. ago, there was no there was no division. But now the government is wanting to do this division. Um, so it's, it's a strategy. Uh, we don't have time. Uh, or maybe we do. Um, but the... Uh, uh, this concept of Hegel's influenced um, Darwin, the idea yeah. of the struggle of the species evolving, right? They, uh, but it also yeah. influenced um, uh, Hitler. And uh, so we see, a matter of fact, a little bit of it came to America in the 1890s. And there was uh, Eugene Debs, you know him because Bernie Sanders had his picture on the wall. Uh, but mm. Eugene Debs came to Chicago. There's a Pullman Railroad car company. And the uh, downturn, they couldn't pay their workers what they paid them before. And so the workers were disgruntled. And so Eugene Debs organized them to have riots and they destroyed $80 million worth of railroad cars in 27 states. It froze the country because all the mail and products went on railroads. The country was brought to a standstill by this guy stirring up these riots and this crisis. Could you imagine rioting just spreading across the country and paralyzing it never happened today, country? Bill. What
1: are you talking about? <laughs> and
0: and uh, <laughs> anyway, afterwards, Eugene Debs started the Socialist Party of America. And he ran for president five times, one time from prison. And then in 1920, branching off, is the Communist Party USA. And they run candidates every year from 1920, 1940, until FDR makes a treaty with Stalin during World War II. And the Communist Party USA says, why should we run our own candidates when here we have a Democrat candidate making treaties with Stalin? And from that point on, they began to infiltrate that party and make uh, inroads into the other party as well.
1: All right, we've got a lot more coming up. Uh, what are, how are these tactics being used in America right now to take power away from the people? That's a question I'm going to ask Bill in just a second. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek back in two. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk. My guest today, Bill Federer, puts out an email every day that you can sign up for at AmericanMinute.com, and you ought to. It is a wealth of historical information. It's amazing. Sign up for it there, and don't forget about his book called, the title is Socialism, The Real History from Plato to the Present, How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crises to Consolidate Control. Now, uh, Bill, before the break, uh, you had you had mentioned uh, a little bit about the Communist Party in America, and uh, we were just about to talk about the tactics used to take power away from the people and put it into a dictator or government. And we wanted to talk about it in Nazi Germany. So, can, first of all, who was the Nazi Party and what tactics did they use to, to get power?
0: Right, so Germany in the nineteen twenties was a republic. A republic is where the people are in charge ruling through representatives. The Weimar Republic. And someone started a party uh, when Hitler ended up becoming the head of it. But the it's the National Socialist Workers' Party. National Socialist Workers. And in, in German, it's National Arbeiter, which means worker, Socialistis Party. Uh, the word socialism is in there. And um anyway, Hitler was the head of it, and this party had a violent group associated with it, sort of like an Antifa BLM group. They were called brown shirts, a uh, bunch of uniforms left over from World War I, but they wore them. Anyway, the brown shirts would go. They were nicknamed Sturmabteilung, which means stormtroopers, because they would storm into the meetings of Hitler's opponents and shout down the speakers and totally disrupt the meeting. And then these brown shirts would lock arms. There's pictures of them locking arms and blocking access to public buildings and locking arms and blocking streets. Could you imagine people locking arms and blocking streets and roads? Does that sound familiar, ladies and gentlemen? Then they went into the cities and they smashed the windows and looted and set on fire over 7,000 stores owned by Jews. It was the night of broken glass, Kristallnacht. And then their capital got set on fire. And evidence points to Hitler's people being the ones that set it on fire. But in the confusion, Hitler accuses his political opponents of staging an insurrection and attacking the capital, And he begins to round up all of the people that he called insurrectionists and rounds them up and keeps them in prison and then finally has them shot without a trial. Mm -hmm. And when the dust settles, Hitler didn't have any political opponents left. And Germany transitioned from a republic into a dictatorship. It transitioned from bottom up to a top down.
1: Isn't it interesting that... I was just going to say, Bill, so many people think that the Nazis were far right. They were actually far left in the sense that they took power and consolidated in a big government, including they took the means of production. Did they not?
0: Well, they did. And it's academic the differences. I mean, Mm -hmm. you had the Nazis were National Socialist Workers Party and then you had the Soviet Union. What's the difference? Uh, The Nazis were a little more nationalist, thinking that the Aryan race was superior. And the Soviets thought, uh, we'll work with any race. (laughs) We want global domination. We'll work with anybody. (laughs) But it's the same thing. It's a spectrum of power. One side's total government. The other side's no government. Socialism, according to Lenin, is a transition phase to communism. And Karl Marx defined communism as the abolition of private property. And if you don't own property... You can't accumulate any wealth, and you can't get ahead in life, and you don't have any freedoms. So uh, we got Hitler, and then we have the Cold War. So after World War II, Germany, France, England give independence to their former colonies. And you have brand new countries being formed. India, Egypt, Israel, uh, Poland, Lithuania, Bulgaria, Albania, all these countries. And they elect brand new leaders. And it looks hopeful. Except the Soviet Union decides they don't just want communism running themselves, they want it to run the world. And so they send in agitators into these countries to do critical theory, critical economic theory, critical racial theory. What's that? It's you observe all the groups in a country and you categorize them as victims or oppressors, haves and have-nots, and you begin to orchestrate protests that you escalate into riots and violence and bloodshed. Why? Because once blood is shed, people think emotionally, not rationally, and they can be manipulated easier with this near-jerk fear fear reaction. It's called fear-mongering, intentional string And then they would co-opt the media with bribes and threats to blame the new leader of the new country for all of the problems. And they would even nurture weak links in the military. And when the country gets panicky enough because of all the rioting and violence and blaming the leader of the country, they do a coup or a rigged election and replace the leader with a Soviet puppet. Mm. And suddenly the violence stops and everybody sighs relief until they realize they just gave up the farm. And they're no longer in charge of their lives. It's flipped from a bottom-up form of government to a top-down. And so country by country by country would fall. This is called behind the Iron Curtain. And Truman does nothing because he thinks the United Nations he helped form will, will bring world peace. But the next president Eisenhower, and he's faced with a choice. He can sit back and do nothing and let these countries fall, or fight fire with fire, and that's what he did. So in 1953, Iran sides with the Soviet Union. Their leader, Mazadek, nationalizes the Iranian oil industry. And you think, oh, big deal. Well, wait a second, Britain has no oil fields, and so in 1908, Britain formed the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. You know it better as BP. Mm -hmm. And so when Iran, the Bosnique, sides with the Soviet Union, takes control of BP, uh, England has an oil shortage. And so they appealed to Eisenhower for help. And Eisenhower approves the first CIA operation to overthrow a country's leader. It's Operation Ajax. Uh, Alan Dulles is in charge of the CIA. Uh, John Foster Dulles is the Secretary of State. And and so they send Kermit Roosevelt Jr., the grandson of Teddy Roosevelt, over to Tehran. He's an expert in foreign languages. And he recruits mobsters and gangsters and radical imams. And he stages protests and riots and they attack mosques. And they co-opt the media with bribes and threats to blame Mossadegh for all of the problems. And when the country gets panicky and confused enough, they put Mazdaq under house arrest, lock him away for the rest of his life where he dies, and they replaced him with the Shah, who loved America and did have a rightful claim to the throne. Uh, The CIA does the same thing in Guatemala in 1954, the Congo in 1960, Dominican Republic, and even Chile in 1973, and the KGB did the same thing with Brezhnev and Khrushchev helping helping, um, Yasser Arafat to start the PLO and bring division in the Middle East. And Brezhnev and Khrushchev helping Castro to take over Cuba and helping Chai Guevara to start FARC in Colombia and ELN in Bolivia. Uh, This is called the Cold War. These are tactics of how to take over a country. They have been perfected by both sides. And in America, it was done... Um, because we didn't want them to fall to the Soviet Union, and so there was a a patriotic motive behind it. One of the uh t- things that Alan Dulles did was Operation Mockingbird, where he had the CIA feed news stories to the major news outlets because the country was more or less happy with our lives and we weren't a- aware of the soviet threat and so but this was admitted by Carl Bernstein. In the uh, Rolling Stones article in 1977, uh, the you know, CIA and the press. And, and so we have the, the acknowledgment that the CIA is feeding stories to the press. And, and from what I've talked to people, it's, it's been upgraded to the place where they have a room with TV monitors everywhere. And they will release one of their stories and they'll do instant polling and tracking of how the story is forwarded on and how it's responded to in real time. Instead of, you know, oh, let's do a poll before an election. No, this is every day. This is every moment. They'll they'll introduce stories and then they'll track, are, are they gaining traction? Are they, you know, mm-hmm. and then they're, they respond to a disinformation campaign. It's all in real time. It's like taking the country's temperature constantly. And uh, anyway, so we have um, the uh, co-opting of. Different federal agencies under President Obama, right? The IRS uh, right. under with Lois Lerner meeting 147 times with Obama and targeting conservative organizations, mm. and then uh, Eric Holder giving drugs to uh, guns to drug gangs in Mexico, and he's called to t- t- tell Congress what he's doing in Fast and Furious, and he refuses to go. He's held in contempt of Congress right now because he never showed up. And then we have the co-opting of the intelligence industry, which was just supposed to protect America from another 9-11. Uh, but under President Obama, it was transitioned to digging up dirt on political opponents. And, uh, and one of the tactics... now you have the that- NSA
1: uh, has admitted to monitoring Tucker Carlson, of all people. It's being used as, as a political tool to take down people they don't like.
0: And, and uh, tragically, this is happening in the military. And yeah. so the CRT, Critical Race Theory, the Transgendered Agenda, uh, it's its collateral damage purpose that I believe is their primary goal is to drive out of the military people that hold old traditional values. I actually talked to a general, one star general, and he had been in 30 years, and when they went from Reagan, where you could not serve if you were homosexual, to Bill Clinton's don't ask, don't tell if you're homosexual, to Obama. Now you can serve openly. And then immediately it was unless everybody else embraces this, uh, silence is violence. You can't sit back and let them do what they want. You have to uh, actively affirm them. And this right. general said, uh, I can't go over and pat him on the back and said, yeah, go for it. And so he said, I knew I'd get in trouble. So he said, I decided to retire early. And so it's not just him, it's hundreds and hundreds are being purged. So who do you have left? Right. People that are okay with this agenda. And um, so so we see this. Uh, and Historically, whenever there's a purge in the military, it's a step before using the military to do out-and-out persecution. Well, Bill, um, we're,
1: we're about out of time, and we need to pick this up because you've given us so much to think about, both historically and even what's going on right now. So if people want to learn more about you and what you do and this new book, where do they go?
0: Well, thanks. Uh, the title of the book is Socialism, the Real History from Plato to the Present. And the subtitle is How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crises to Consolidate Control. The website's AmericanMinute.com.
1: And go to AmericanMinute.com and get on Bill's email list. I get an email from him, I think, just about every day. And it's, it's unbelievably good what he puts together Uh, A great historical perspective on so much. Bill, you got to come back, and and we've got to continue this conversation, if that's okay.
0: I'd love to. Thanks, Frank.
1: All right, that's Bill Federer. Again, AmericanMinute.com. Get the book as well, and then don't forget, I'm going to be in California the next two weekends, Lord willing. Southern California this weekend, Aliso Viejo, Compass Bible Church, next weekend in San Jose and also at South Valley Community Church in Gilroy. Check it all out on our website, crossexamine.org. Click on events. You'll see my calendar there. And I hope to see you here next week. God bless.